The Brown Sign Project podcast is proudly supported by Stephen Spencer and Associates. There's reopening, then there's building back better, then there's creating a sustainable future business model. From managing change to customer experience design and brand communication, our innovation toolkit helps visitor attractions and destinations build forward better. You're listening to the Brown Sign Project podcast, bringing people together to share experiences and what they love about working within the tourism industry to inspire and empower the next generation of tourism professionals. Join Carlton and Carly as they dive into the world of visitor journey mapping. They will be bringing together panels of specialists to guide and help us understand visitor journey mapping and its role in delivering memorable visitor experiences. Hello and welcome to the Brown Design Project. Um, My name is Carlton and this is Carly. Hello, Carly. Hello, are you okay? Yeah, I'm doing good, thank you. And um, today we are going to be talking about another part of the customer journey map, um, which is really interesting. And we've got two amazing guests to kind of talk us through. So let me introduce you to Kelly. Hello, Kelly. Hello, Carlton. How are you nice doing? Nice to see you. Yeah, yeah, good, good. It's nice to see you again. You too. And we've got Joe as well. Hi, Joe. Hey, how you doing, Carlton? Hi, Carly. Um, thanks so much for joining us today. And um, before we go into our topic, um, Kelly, can you start just giving us a quick introduction about you and what you do? Yeah, uh, I am the MD and the founder of Rubber Cheese, which is a web design and development agency who works with uh, attractions and tourism sector. And I'm also the host of the Skip the Queue podcast, which both of you Carlton and Carly have been fab guests on, and this is Joe's trial run because I get I get Joe on later on. Uh, we'll see how we see how we do. <laughs> oh, I'm loving the name of your company, Rubber Cheese. I think it's awesome. Oh, thank you. Awesome name, and Joe. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I'm Joe Robinson. I'm based over here in the U.S. I live in Nashville, Tennessee, and I'm Chief Growth Officer at a company called Rocket Res. And we're a ticketing platform, and it's a cloud-based. And I look after the sales and marketing teams here. And so uh, really excited to be here. And I really appreciate you inviting me on. You're very welcome. Thank you for joining us. So we're going to start with sort of our, when we talked about the customer journey map and we broke it down into sections, this was kind of the the second section we talked about. So the, the first real big question we have, the overarching question is for a customer, you now have their interest, you possibly have their money. What now? So what happens in this space between somebody knowing they want to visit you and actually getting to the point of, you know, entering your front door? So um, Kelly, if you want to start, if you want to give us sort of your your overview as to what sits in that space. Oh my God, so much. <laughs> so much. It feels like a really short little window as well, but there's so much. So, I mean, <laughs> gosh, if you've got someone on your website in the first place, I mean, I, I always say that the fun starts from the first click. This is our like rubber cheese phrase, fun starts from the first click. And I think that, you know, what we mean by that is, you know, if you if someone's found your website, they really want the to understand what the perception of the of what your your attraction is going to be like. You know, what are they going to get? And so, if you've got, you know, if you if you're running um, a wildlife park, for example, or you have a, a very traditional museum, those the appearance of your website and what you put on there and how you engage with those those guests is going to be really different. So you've got to make sure it's really congruent. Um, and they know, you know, they, it's kind of building that excitement. So they know what they're, they're, they're kind of in for before they, before they visit you. 
Um, and then, oh my gosh, again, there's just, there's so much to think about. There's, there's all of those kind of that user journey through the site, you know, you've got their attention. They're really excited. They want to buy that ticket. Can they find how to do that? <laughs> and me and Carly always talk about how big is that buy button and is it in the right place, you know? And then, you know, what have you taken out all of those barriers to, to, that will stop them being able to purchase a ticket? And there's, I mean, we'll talk about this in more detail, I'm sure, as we go on, but, you know, is it easy for them to understand what they do, like what step they go to next? Is everything kind of streamlined? Are there distractions? Have, they, have those been taken away? You know, are there things like... Um, the terminology that you use on buttons, you know, does that make sense to them? If they are stuck, is there a really easy way of them contacting you, for example? You know, the worst thing that you can do is get people excited to the point of wanting a book and then they go, oh, I just, I don't know how. Oh, I can't. And so I'll bugger off and go somewhere else instead, you know? So that that's, that, that's one part of it. And then, um, you know, if you do actually get them to buy a ticket, there's loads more to think about. You know, it doesn't stop there just because they've given their money over. You need to think about, okay, well, how do you, again, build that excitement about what, what are they, what's their expectations? What are they going to get? You know, how do you engage with them between that window of, I mean, let's face it, depending on your attraction, you, if, you've got a, if you've got a book for somewhere in advance that's a really popular attraction, you could be a couple of months. How, what do you do in that couple of months? You just leave them. You know, how do you engage with them? What do you give them to do? How do you get them to feel more excited about what they're coming? And actually, let's face it, how do you ask them to spend more money as well? At this point in time, you've got a book in, what more can you sell them? How can you make that experience better for them and benefit from it yourself as well? Yeah, I think the um, the make your buy now button bigger I think is is the answer to all you know every problem in the world can be solved by making your buy now button bigger gonna get a t-shirt with it isn't it shocking how many people don't put that in their main like on the landing page right in the booking flow anywhere possible you want to have that button when someone's in their mind they've converted and they're ready to buy that button's got to be there right it's shocking how many websites i see Mm, and really quite sophisticated businesses that don't present the opportunity to purchase when the customer is ready to buy. It's quite shocking to me. Yeah. I, I always say to people, if, if I can't find the buy button on your website, one, you've, you've definitely lost me as a customer. I have very little patience actually for somebody sure. that works in tech. I have very little tech patience. Um, yeah. But also, yeah, I mean, like I'm a, an educated user of websites if I can't find it, somebody who is just stumbling along looking for something to do when they're in your, your local area, they're not finding it either. You know, it's, it, it really does need to be super clear. Yeah, so, I think it comes down to having a customer journey map in your attraction. If you don't do this exercise, then you're not going to find out the flaws or the touch points that need to be put in place. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of why we're talking about this topic today is trying to get you to understand these are the stuff that you need to kind of look into mm-hmm. uh, when you are uh, when you are put in place. So big buy button. Yes, it's very important, <laughs> very, but there's loads of other stuff. So, Joe, can you can you kind of add in, onto that for us, please? Yeah, sure. I, look, I agree with Kelly. I also took a look at rubber cheese this morning. I was just blown away. Beautiful website. Excellent value propositions, very clean. It's a great example of what customers should be doing, right? Like the, the, the best way to sell is to 
do, you know, have a good offense in the beginning. And really the first order of business is to have a clean, well-designed website that represents your brand, reflects who you are and showcases the main value propositions of your tour or your attraction. It's It's a surprising world we live in when you land on someone's website and you can't tell what they are and what they do. Right. So the, the keys to conversion are a few key things. One, knowing exactly what your value propositions are. I mean, there's a famous saying over here in the US, a fourth grader, when they land on your website, should know exactly what you do. A fourth grader here in the US, I don't know what, what the translation is in the UK, but that's like a 10 year old. A nine or 10 year old should land on the website and be like, oh, this is a wildlife park. This is a zoo. Right. And, and that's got to be extremely clear. And then, of course, a clean brand and a very easy site, but it's got to be responsive to all the different sizes of computers and tablets and mobile. So we're talking some very basic things. And then one of the other things I think that most attractions probably don't even think of is website speed. So hopefully, Kelly, you're probably preaching this from day one, right? But you, you've got to understand that every millisecond makes a difference in somebody's brain. They're subconsciously annoyed by having to wait. So if you click buy now and then you get the spinning wheel of death, three seconds is like an eternity to somebody that is ready to buy. So it's gotta be very, very fast. You can go, there's plenty of just do speed tests, right? On your website, Google has one, it's probably the most famous. So very basic things can increase conversion and make customers really feel comfortable buying and getting through the purchase path uh, much easier. And then, um, you know, obviously, they're on your site. So the question is actually, they're on your site. You've already piqued their interest and they're ready to buy. So what now? The companies that are doing this well, the less you, the less steps you can push through, the better. So famously, Apple, uh, Steve Jobs was really frustrated by his own team. And he said, I don't want anything on my iPhone uh, to take more than three steps. I want to be able to open an app and get to the thing I want to do between swiping open my thing and opening an app. It needs to be three steps, no matter what the thing is inside that you want to do. That's a really good model to try to do. You don't really want to have 14 steps to get between the customer and the ticket. If you, the more, the less you can do, the better. So there's a lot of information that you need to gather. You need names and emails and credit card information. I mean, we, we understand that, but a good ticketing platform and a good partner in that way should be able to facilitate less is more. And that's really one of the key things, a buy now button, a clean website, clear expectations and very low friction to getting to the ticket. I love that we're all just nodding furiously (laughs) here with like Joe. It's like we're one mind, Joe. I'm like, yes. Yes. Less is more. Less is more. Absolutely right. That um, that comment that you made about the fourth grader, I think um, in the UK we would say like, if your nan can use it. If your nan can use it, then that's a good sign. But I okay. use my I, I like use my it. dad. My dad is my test subject because my dad has never switched on a computer in his whole life. Really? He's not got, he hasn't got a smartphone. He's got a phone that that can text and take calls, and that's it. So if if I can show something to my dad and he can work out what to do, nailed it. Yeah, I once did a whole presentation. It became quite famous in the the company I used to work for about my mom using the internet. And it's not that my mom is not a, a you know, is a, not a, a competent user of the, although that's up for discussion, but um, it's the fact that she is the, the biggest bargain hunter in the world. 
And so if you, if you put um, like a discount code box that is visible, my mom will not buy a ticket until she has put something in that discount code box. <laughs> like there might, there might be a two hour gap between her making a decision to buy and her actually buying, but it's just totally taken up by her trying to find discount codes. And I did this whole, it was really funny. That's exactly my thing. It's like, if, just don't distract people. No. <laughs> it's really websites can be really distracting and you can be your own worst enemy at that you really can i totally can. agree i mean I, I remember when i was doing my dissertation for my masters and something that really jumped out at me and it talks about the fourth graders that joe uh, you were saying it was um i think 10 year old i think it's 10 years old it's kind of the, it's te- the reading age of the uk population on average wow. okay all right. Wow. So when when people need to create kind of websites, they need to really understand that there's people that cannot read really sophisticated words. It's around about a 10 year old. So and there's a lot of organizations that don't understand that or they don't understand that information. So it's really important that we we kind of aim for a 10 year old, even, even like a five year old to, to a certain degree. Absolutely. To try and get that message across. Mm. Uh, you don't want your customers to have to think too much. Yeah. I know that sounds a little bad, but the more brain cells I need to use to buy a ticket, the likelihood of the conversion of the ticket goes down. Yeah. You really just have to make it so unbelievably elementary and easy and clean uh, that that you just, again, you're right. That fourth grader, your nan should be able to buy a ticket on your website. It's a good litmus test to how the a wide audience is gonna go through a funnel to purchase your ticket. Awesome, awesome. I think we can carry on with this for for ages. <laughs> yeah, I think we've answered everything. We can we can just stop. All right, I'll see Done. you later. Bye. <laughs> no, there's more. There's more. Um, so I'm going to kind of go on to the next question, and this is going to be more specific to kind of somebody who's new to ticketing. So maybe a staff member. So what's the most important thing that they need to get and understand about advanced bookings online? What they need to know when they are implementing new stuff. So um, Kelly, can, can we start with you on that? Yeah, so I, this question I kind of looked at from the perspective of, of a, an attraction as a whole that hasn't got pre-booking, for example. You know, and actually Carly and I, we did a webinar for ASFA, the, um, the Association for the Scottish Visitor Attractions a couple of weeks ago. And, there, there is quite a, there's quite a high percentage of attractions there that have never had pre-booking previously. So this is quite new for them. So I looked at it from that perspective. And I think, you know, there's, there's so many pros to the attraction and also so many pros in terms of the visitor experience as well. And I think some of them are, you know, the fact that you're kind of, you're securing that attraction's visits in advance. So it allows you to plan accordingly. So from an operational perspective, that's fantastic, right? You know, how many staff to have, you know, when you need them. Um, it, it you, you also then kind of elicit a commitment from the visitor as well. So the fact that they've paid for something in advance means they're more likely to show up. I know that there has been challenges throughout the COVID period with people pre-booking tickets and not, but, you know, as a whole, that's that's generally the, the thing that happens. Queue management. I mean, nobody wants to turn up any day, whether it's hot or, you know, peeing down with rain, which generally in the UK is a lot of the time and standing in a queue for a couple of hours. So, you know, from the from the visitor experience perspective, that's got to be better for you. Um, But also it will help the attraction kind of even out that pattern of visitors throughout the day as well. So at the moment, 
you if you if you can do time ticketing for example I think you know that's probably one of the prerequisites at the moment for the COVID situation you're not going to get an influx of visitors all in one go so people aren't going to be overwhelmed with crowds they're going to feel more comfortable about visiting they're going to feel safer but the biggest one and I think um, again this is something that Carly and I spoke about is data you know if, if you can get people to book in advance, the amount of data that you can then collect about your visitors and understand who they are, where they're coming from, what their average spend is, there's so much that you can do. But again, that then translates into a better experience for them because we start to then talk about, you know, that, that pre-visit experience. You've, if you've collected their data, what can you do more of then to engage with them? You know, you can send them pre-visit it, you know at the moment safety instructions what you can and can't do what how how is this experience going to be the very best that it possibly can despite some of the sanctions that we still have in place how you know different offers you know you might be able to upsell them vip experiences for example or give them things that are a benefit to them you know pre-booking a car park discounts on meal deals all of those kind of things i mean that that for me is the whole crux of why pre-booking is is so so important. It is it is vital for the operation, and it's really really improving that 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 customer experience. Yeah, and I'm guessing, Joe. I mean, you must have loads of experience of, of, of customers coming to you and, and never having having had a ticketing product for the first. You know, this is the first time they're really investigating a yeah. pre-booking system at all. Yes, or they've cut, they're coming off a custom system that wasn't flexible enough to actually do the things that they want to do. And we have this conversation consistently with new customers specifically and especially, but at the end of the day, what you're doing is you're putting yourself in the shoes of the customer. Because if, if you actually think about it, if you're new to ticketing and you're trying to put together a clean pre-booking process that will really speak to your brand and to your customers, A, like using the data that Kelly's talking about, understanding who your customers are, you should probably think about the times that you've bought something online. And here's some good news. There's some really sophisticated companies that have spent, I don't even know, umpteen bajillion trillion dollars on understanding the psychology of purchasing a widget, a doodad, a ticket, a thing experience. And so if you were to look at some of the top e-commerce platforms in the world, look at what they're doing, right? Like, okay, we got to, we got to talk about Amazon. It's because they've built an entire, you know, empire based on cleanly converting customers. And they really understand how people say they love Amazon even though in most cases, it's actually more expensive on Amazon than if you go to your local shop or whatever, because they've made it so insanely easy to buy. So you've bought something probably on a website. Think about it in that way. You've bought something on Amazon. There's even a point to where, I, th I don't know if this is the UK, but you guys have the slide checkout. It's one step checkout because you've built an account and you can actually set up your address and your thing. You yeah, can that, buy something in four seconds. So right? dangerous. <laughs> Uh, so it, dangerous. it really is. It really is. Yeah. We have to set a budget for ourselves in this house, but, um, <laughs> um, but anyway, depending on what your attraction is thinking about the, the shoes of what your customer is going to experience. Right. So potentially something I just went to um, my wife and I were in new Orleans and I'm a big world war II buff. I love history. And they have probably one of the best world war II museums, if not the best in the world. 
And uh, like a lot of museums, they're sort of personalizing it and they're, they're giving you a, um, a card when you arrive that is an actual soldier in World War II and you experience the museum through it. And I told him, I'm like, how, we bought our ticket two weeks ago. Why did, how cool would it have been if they had sent me this a week ago and said, hey, we're so excited that you're coming. Pick one of these four soldiers that you wanna experience and start the pre-journey of this museum right now and have a really cool interactive display and have a picture of that soldier, the story, a little video. Instead, it's fine, I got to the museum, but the first 45 minutes was me learning about this guy and we only had two hours and I was like, no, I kind of want to go to the Holocaust piece and you know, I've got this video I want to see. Man, they could have used that opportunity. I actually went to the guest services counter and talked to them about it. I was like, this would be really easy for you guys to do. Call me if you need some help. I, you know, I can help and I'm not trying to sell you on Rocket Res, but that's the kind of thing. I think people can really use the internet, texting, SMS. There's so many cool tools that now we're all prepared to use. I think the main consumer is now really ready to use their phone. Think about it in that way. I mean, there's so many cool things. We could talk conversion and optimizing dynamic photos and color popping and all this kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, what is your brand? What do you want the customer to experience? And can you start to litter some of those elements earlier than actually at your attraction or actually at your tour or whatever it is that you're doing? When I first started looking into ticketing systems way back, you know, everybody was talking about, you know, we have to drive conversion online. And, sure. you know, in order to do that, we need to offer a discount or, you know, we need to incentivize booking online in some way. Actually, I think we've we've kind of crossed that bridge now. COVID's accelerated that hugely, but we yep. won't go back. But I also think, well, you can incentivize without discounting. And I think that's a really good example. As if you could say, you know, you get this in advance because we know you're coming. We can send you this stuff in advance because we know who you are. I mean, that's way more incentivizing for most people than a 50p discount might be. It's, it's like lengthening the experience as well, isn't it? Like your experience has then started a week before you actually arrive at the venue and that's really exciting. You're, you're, you're much more engaged with the venue. You're much more engaged with what's gonna happen there. And like Joe said, he only had two hours. So he actually gets the full experience of two hours at the venue rather than wasting little, you know, all of that time there. What's interesting about the experience economy is I find that a discount um, strategy really works in a commoditized market. So t-shirts, orange juice, spaghetti sauce, right? Like these kinds of things, unfortunately have 14 competitors and there's very little differentiation between them. You may need to have a discount and pricing strategy, but experiences, you've got the customer ready to go to that experience. They wanted to already go to your wildlife park and they wanted to go to your zoo. Well, you don't need to discount because odds of there being a wildlife park within a 30 mile kilometer radius, whatever it is, it's pretty low, right? So, I mean, I think there's a need for that when there's a high competition of things going on around you, but really in the experience economy, we're not a commoditized industry and, and hopefully we don't get there. Yeah, and I also think in terms of, like you said, that what is competition? Because you could go to somewhere like Vegas where there's a, a million competing options for my time, but the fact that there's a million competing options for my time means I go to Vegas. 
<laughs> because if there wasn't all those choices, I just wouldn't go. You know, there's a reason that the top tourist destinations in the world are like that. So if I'm already in the destination, I'm already in resort, then really it's just about finding the right experience for me as opposed to finding the right experience that, you know, fits my budget. And think, some of it might be budgetary, but it's it's unlikely. I think something just popped into my head regarding that. What about if attractions think, okay, let's get people in a lot cheaper, but then kind of use the secondary spend element to get the money. What's your thoughts about that? So you're asking, having a strategy around attempting to upsell, really getting them in the door with a lower price ticket, yes. and then offering secondary options, Exactly. hopefully at a high conversion rate. Yes. Yeah, I mean, that's when you said that, I thought of instantly a museum that has upsell exhibits, right? And they have four exhibits, an IMAX theater, uh, a six month uh, Pharaoh's exhibit. Um, and it's, and it needs to be purchased in order to go. I don't know. I think there's probably some good theory around it and we'd have to model it out with people a lot smarter than me. But at the end of the day, I, I think you have to understand what your core product is and not discount it too much because you're essentially, in my opinion, devaluing the main value proposition, which is the entrance to that museum. And if I am happen to be interested in Pharaohs, I'm going to buy that upgrade anyway. I will. Or I wanted to see that IMAX movie. I'm going to buy that anyway, really. Yeah, I think, I think the example that I had was it's kind of Merlin when they do loads of discounts of trying to get their uh, people in so in their theme parks like Walton Towers for park you got like discounts on um, the cereal boxes or coupons and that kind they just want to get the numbers in mm. um, and they're happy to slash their price by half to just to get you in so you can experience the whole experience but also retail the mm. retail um, and all that kind of stuff yeah that's where they made the additional additional fees I would say as long as that's not your core strategy, if that's a piece of your sales mix, then the blended kind of ticket average that you have is still high enough, then that makes sense. Uh, and if that's not your core demographic, that 50 to 60% of your customers are high margin customer, like a low margin, excuse me, uh, that means you're spending too much to get them in the door, then then that that's possibly worked, right? Like. Merlin's a very sophisticated business. They're, I think, the third largest attraction group in the world, maybe second at this point. And they've probably studied this and have learned that if they get you in the door, they can upsell you into doing a wax dip or a, um, you know, whatever the thing is, the doodad or the widget. <laughs> I'm just... I'm so glad that you use that as an upset. That used to be my job at one point. I used to do the wax hands. Carlton, you you must have done that as a job at some point, did you not? Oh no, my goodness! No okay, no just wax me. Hands. I made wax hands for a, for a little while. It was great. It was I also Carl, had very I think, soft hands for a long time. <laughs> timing is everything in that. Yeah. I mean, I think we all have peaks and troughs, but if you're doing that in high season, we've got you might need to look at getting a new commercial manager, right? Like at the end of the day, you. There is a there is value to driving traffic to your attraction in low season times or shoulder seasons or Tuesday mornings in the rain. Okay, I understand that. I absolutely do. But Saturday afternoon in July, hmm, not so much. 
Yeah, I totally agree on that. Totally agree. From a psychological perspective, from from a per- from me personally, it doesn't work for me either. I, I have this real thing about if I've booked something in advance, if I've paid full price for it, because it's been booked in advance and it's done, I will probably spend more on the day because when I get there, that that spend of getting into the venue has already been done. So I've forgotten about it. So now I'm like, woohoo, free money. Like, what should we, yeah, let's buy all the nachos. Let's buy all the stuff. I'm going to spend all my money while I'm here. So I don't know. There's something about that that doesn't feel, I don't know. It doesn't work for me. Yeah. And that actually, interestingly, I think brings me on to, to my next question, which is around sort of, because I think discounting, you're right. If you're doing that as your bait, as your big strategy, then that's, that's concerning what about when people are dropping out of the sales process? So I'm going to come to you, Joe, first, but what are your strategies for, I can see people are dropping out of the sales process at this point. Do I follow up with that? Do, you know, or can I percentage improvements, whatever it might be, but what do you see sort of in that, that falling out of the sales process? So what you're talking about, and if you Google, if you're listening to this, Google CRO, conversion rate optimization, Neil Patel has some incredibly simple, easy, great tips on this. But um, first and foremost, absolutely, even if your purchase path currently is not the best it should be, the one thing you absolutely have to do, depending on GDPR and getting acceptance of collecting information, is a, a cart abandonment strategy tool. It has to be in there because what you, you have to recognize that people are living their lives while purchasing this and potentially they're a family and their kid cries or they knocked over their water in the middle of the purchase. Like maybe even 10% of the people that are actually really wanting to buy get distracted by something. Uh, if you have a cart abandonment tool, what happens is you collect customer information earlier than you typically would. You kind of reverse the process. Grab their email right at the beginning. Hey, I've added... Uh, the general admission ticket for 10 a.m. Cool, great. Put your email in real quick. Then I know I've got that. And then as you go through the purchase process of upsell uh, information and then checkout, uh, if they happen to abandon the cart at any point, maybe you set a 60-minute trigger that I get an email that says, hey, this is still in the cart. Uh, Do you want it, right? And then maybe a day later, it comes in and it says, hey, this is still in the cart. Um, there's only a few spots left. Sell a sense of urgency. And it's got to be real. It's got to be true. And then behind that, potentially offer a discount. You've got three touch points, right? And then at that point, they don't want to buy. There's at, at minimum, you've got to do that at minimum. And then you should be looking through um, what point are they abandoning? Like if you have a good ticketing system and you can actually see There's a point at which a high majority are bouncing. It's called your bounce rate. They're bouncing from the checkout. Well, then maybe there's something off there. Maybe they, maybe they've had to scroll too much to hit the next button, or there's literally, maybe they don't like the color orange. If you're, I mean, there's actually studies around making the purchase pass green over orange. If you make it orange, there's a sense of yellow, orange, like slow down and stop. It's really psychological and in some small ways you can actually increase conversion by color, text, reducing image size, 
not having people scroll. There's like 50 or 60 small things that end up incrementally adding a better conversion rate. And I'm now looking at you, Kelly, because I think I, know, I can see you <laughs> frantically, frantically nodding along. I feel like Joe is in my brain and speaking my <laughs> thoughts. We're like one mind, Joe. I, I love this. Yeah, look, I mean, I mean, great for us because we we obviously picked the two right guests, right? To, to discuss sure. this. For sure. Yeah, look, everything that Joe said, I 100% agree with. I'm nodding my head. Yeah, I mean, there, there's, I listed down all the common reasons why people are bad in cars. And like Joe said, the big, the top one is just distractions, you know, and that's distractions from family, friends, you know, all the, all, the doorbells rung, the dogs barking at it. The fact that they're forced to do, you know, forced to open an account too early, they don't want to do that. There's checkout process is too complex. There's website issues, you know, they can't see what the total cost is all of these small little things are, you know, the stuff that we talk about, about barriers for people being able to purchase or barriers for them going through that journey in the first place. And, and, you know, it, I think there's some stats around um, abandoned car emails. I think it's like 45% of all uh, car abandonment e emails are open and nearly like 25% of all of them are clicked. So that's quite a high percentage of, of asking people or getting people to take action. So it's really, really worth setting those things up. Um, but exactly what Joe said, you know, you've got, you've got to get their data as soon as possible so that you know that you can capture, you can send them something if you, if you, if it gets to that point. And I do think that that you've got that one opportunity to then offer that discount, like you said, Joe, and, and if they're not going to buy at that point, then they're not going to buy. There's a famous story. I, I, I won't say which, OTA this is, but earlier, I'd say 2010, 11, 12, somewhere in there, um, there was a very, very famous OTA. You could probably think of what it's going to be that had, um, during their booking journey, they would sell advertisements on the side. And so destinations would be advertising themselves. So you're seeing this beautiful advertisement for the Seychelles, which is like, dynamic and switching pictures of these beaches and like amazing things. And they saw this insane drop off from their checkout. And it's because they were driving people through ads to actually switch their trip to a different trip or get inspired. And some of these ads were actually driving to another website. It was driving actually off of blank blank.com to DMO insert DMO.com. And it was like, Goodness gracious, I really hope that anyone listening to this doesn't have advertisements to click them out of the funnel. It oh. really needs to be the entire screen. Or they're making more they're making more money from the advert than they are from selling their oh, product. Maybe true. they need maybe be. they need you to look right at their there. whole yeah. business structure. <laughs> yeah, it is funny. Way. If you look at their like profitability report, they the media solutions of this company makes way more money than anything else. So <laughs> They're like, hang on, aren't, aren't we a, aren't we a, you know, a, a travel agent? No, no, no. We're just a front for advertising. Yeah, <laughs> it's just yeah. a totally different business. Yeah. <laughs> Love that idea. Awesome. We've talked about the, the customer journey and ticketing quite a lot, but what's been your best experience so far of a pre-visit like communications um, that you've experienced online or on site? What, what does that look like? This is a really, I thought this is a really tough question. We put you on the spot. Sorry. Yeah, it, but I was thinking, haven't really been anywhere that that 
all frequently for like the last year and a half because you know these four walls have been yeah (laughs) this is the best experience I've had and let's face it it needs a lot of decoration so um (laughs) I'm gonna reference something that I referenced in in a webinar that we did a couple of weeks ago and it's um it's a video that the London Museum of Water and Steam Garden put together. And it was when they were reopening last year. So when we were coming out of our first kind of long lockdown, so they were reopening in the summer. And I just think it is such a wonderful, it's a wonderfully low budget, fun video explaining what you can do when you get there. It explained the kind of the safety procedures but it just did it in such an engaging way. They used all of their team. It was probably shot on iPhones, you know, and it looks kind of homemade, but it's really, a really, just a lovely, lovely piece of like, this is us, we're open. We cannot wait for you to come back. This is what you can do. It's really fun. Please, you know, please come. And I, and that for me was just, it, it kind of summed up the spirit of we're all in it together. Um, and, and I just thought that I think that's such a wonderful video to go and look at. You can find it on YouTube, so it's still Amazing. up there. Yeah, I think it's a, it's also a great example of sort of being your sort of unique, true selves, isn't it? Is that you, if that if you watch that video and you think this museum isn't really my my thing, then that museum isn't your thing. <laughs> like it's okay to not visit everything and to you know go places and think, oh, that's not really my bag. But I, I love that idea that you know the more authentic you can be in your digital communications or your pre-visit comms, it's actually the better experience people have on site because the people who come know what they're gonna get. Yeah. They, they've already got an expectation that matches you know your brand, your people, whatever. Yeah, I think it for me, I really engaged with it because it wasn't polished. You know, it wasn't it wasn't perfection and it didn't need to be perfection. It needed to be real and like you say, completely authentic. And that that completely came across. I yeah, and I think so you can be very forgiving of of certain brands in that way. And there's some places that you 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 would think, oh, how is this, you know, this isn't very professional, or whatever it might be. And I think that scares a lot of smaller attractions. Or actually, you know, scares some big attractions too, let's be realistic, yeah. that they don't necessarily they think if they don't do something to like the highest absolute, you know, this has to be a hundred percent professional. It has to be a hundred percent polished is that it actually, that, that's not very authentic. It's great. If you're a, a Disney or a universal, we expect that of them, but actually as, as long as it's in your voice and it's within your brand, I think you can be really authentic and, and people are very forgiving about things not being quite so definitely pristine. Yeah, I, I agree. And you know, there's some operational pieces which make the customer experience a lot better. Attractions need to not be afraid to communicate with their customers. They have a unique opportunity in the window of the time they bought the ticket to the time they arrive to communicate opportunities and elements within their experience ahead of time. So some attractions require a waiver because they have something more adventurous. Uh, We have a, a customer called Extreme Experience here in the U.S., they're a touring attraction of, of you can actually rent a, a, a car and drive around a racetrack. Well, they have waivers and photo opportunities and upsells, and they communicate three or four times ahead of the actual experience. One, for operational reasons. Here's what to expect when you show up. B, click here to sign this waiver now instead of doing it when you get here. C, hey, we're offering an extra Ferrari ride or add 10 minutes to your 20 minute spin, right? Like right now, 
there's opportunities for upsells, but even just to litter in cool elements of your brand, a video, like Kelly said, um, potentially something like that museum idea that I had, you know, there's another museum that I went to in Seattle called the museum of pop culture and what that the topics that they cover are so vast from Harry Potter to Pearl Jam to Nirvana to, you know, all over the place. Imagine if I, if you bought a ticket two weeks ahead of time, the fun stuff you could do with your customer before they even arrive because you have their cell phone and their email. Imagine sending them a link to a Spotify playlist with all the songs that you could potentially hear or a, a video of a Harry Potter thing or, or a, uh, you know, select your house before you get there kind of, I mean, there's so many fun opportunities to engage your customer before they even arrive. So I think, I think brands need to think about dropping the fear, uncertainty and doubt of communicating to their customer digitally. We're there. Consumers are there. So start doing it like today. I, I think as well, like we're, people are generally quite forgiving of, unless you're going to email me three times a day, I'm, I'm going to get annoyed. But like, as long as you don't call me, we're all good. You know, <laughs> do not call. Like, like most millennials. <laughs> if you call Absolutely me, that is the end. Call. I'm never visiting. That's, it. That's the end of it. Yeah, I mean, do my research. I'm, my, my, my dissertation was very much about this, that why tourist attractions weren't communicating with their guests after they bought a ticket. Because with my research, you know, you're going to build trust, you're going to build respect, and also brand loyalty and ambassadors um, if you do kind of entertain this space. So, Joe, you're just like bringing like music to my ears, man, when you were talking. I'm loving it. <laughs> Absolutely lovely because I've been champion for this for such a long time. Love it, love it. Communicate with your guests after they buy a ticket and before they arrive on site. Mm. It's going to pay dividends. Absolutely. I also think that when you when you set that bar for communication early on in that relationship, and then they can visit you, it's less weird if you want to then talk to them afterwards. Because mm. if you've just left them the whole time until they visited, and now you want to get feedback from them it feels kind of inauthentic. Whereas if you've had that conversation the whole time, it's much easier to come back after that and, and sort of extend that relationship to, you know, to a second visit, third visit, membership, friends program, whatever it might be. Thanks um, so much, guys. You've been absolutely awesome. Exactly what we wanted to, to talk about today. And you, you've given some great examples and some really positive actions for um, listeners to, to go away and look at because I think that's where we really want to help is you know we, we want to give people practical steps to go and do this themselves and start investigating how they improve it so it's been really really helpful thank you thank you both it's been fun so be before you go how can we find you um, online so we'll start with Kelly like where can we find you well you can find me on the skip the key podcast and if you haven't subscribed already oh you really should um google it you'll find it it's on all the places that you would normally find your podcast shiz uh, <laughs> uh, and you can find me uh we're on rubbercheese.com or i am on twitter i'm relatively active over there and i am the chief cheese that's awesome thank you very much um yeah cool. i think the the best part of the, any podcast i've ever been involved in was in the in when i first met kelly and i said i love twitter in the middle of a podcast because that has been quoted back at me more times than anything else I've ever said in the history of the world. And I've, you know, I'd like to think I've said some more impactful things than I love Twitter, uh, but I do. 
and so if you yeah if you want to find us come and find me on twitter then you'll find kelly because there's usually a conversation going on about crocs or dogs (laughs) or dogs or something yeah tequila oh yeah which yeah which alcohol is the worst but that's the conversation for after this (laughs) and perfect so thank you um and joe where can we find you I'm a big LinkedIn guy. So uh, Joe Robinson, Rocket Res, you can just search bar me and then I'm, I'm there. I post a lot I, of random thoughts and different ideas. That's my medium. I, I prefer a little long form sometimes. So mm-hmm. Twitter, I, I tend to type and then it just runs out. And I'm like, oh, dang it. And so much <laughs> Wait, more. You're, you're more of a Twitter thread kind of guy. Yeah, yeah. You, you've heard me. I talk a lot. And so I've got a lot of words to get out. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you very, very much. Yeah, you should use Twitter more just because just to see what Kelly and I are discussing. This All week. I'm going to do is link off to something that has more words. So, you know. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Brilliant. Thank you so much for your time and uh, thanks for taking part. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.